Now, I know right now there's nobody asleep. <laughs> right? Don't go there. <laughs> We're going to talk about some things this morning that are absolutely about the power of the blood. As a matter of fact, when we were going to talk about the blood, um, I thought maybe we ought to just rate this thing like they do in movies or something because we're going to talk about some things about the blood. As a matter of fact, if you're here this morning and you're not a believer, you never heard about the blood of Jesus Christ bathing you in his precious blood so that you can have life eternal, then you know what? This is going to be really weird for you. This whole thing this morning is, is really weird if you're an outsider, isn't it? We're talking about the precious blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we've been singing about that a lot this morning. I want to read to you this morning uh, Hebrews 9, where we are. And we're going to start right in the middle of it where Ed uh, gave us a while ago. In verse 15, we're going to take it all the way to the end. And I want you to read this. As I read this, read this with me. And you follow with that same thought in your mind about Jesus Christ, his precious blood, spilled out for you and me. Beginning in verse 15. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. In the case of a will, it is necessary to prove the death of the one who made it. Because a will is in force only when someone has died. It never takes effect while the one who made it is living. This is why even the first covenant was not put into effect without blood. When Moses had proclaimed every commandment of the law to all the people, he took the blood of calves together with water, scarlet wool, and branches of hyssop and sprinkled the scroll and all the people. He said, this is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you to keep. In the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tabernacle and everything used in its ceremonies. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. It was necessary, then, for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a man-made sanctuary that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself. Now appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again, the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own, then Christ would have had to have suffered many times since the creation of the world. But now he has proved once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Lord, add blessing to the reading of his word. Lord, may we hear it clearly and know you better because of it. Amen. You know, we sung a lot this morning about blood, specifically about the blood of Christ. And that's really strange to people who don't understand it, isn't it? You know, we live in a world of people who don't understand that life is in the blood. 
For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. That's what God wrote to us in Leviticus 17.11. The blood sacrifice of, of God's Son brings those who know him to their knees. As we just sang a while ago, we, we said we're standing in awe of him. Folks, I wanted to just bow down and fall on my face in awe of Jesus Christ. Every time we sing of that, we think about that. You think about his precious blood, the lifeblood of God himself poured out for you and me. When people come to that understanding throughout church history, they do. They fall down on their knees and fall before him. I want to tell you a quick story. There's a, in the 18th century, that's the 1700s, <laughs> there was a chaplain who was the chaplain to King George II. His name was Cooper, spelled a little different, C-O-W-P-E-R, but that's the way they, they still talk funny over there. <laughs> Cooper, and his wife was a poet. They served King George II, and they, they gave birth to a young son, and his, the young kid, William, his uh, mother died when he was six, so they sent him off to, to learn the law from in the King's, King's Law at Westminster. And when he came time for him to come up before Parliament, you know, they're called to the bar, and he comes up before par- Parliament, he couldn't do it. He had a mental breakdown. It, it, he did. So they sent him off to live with a preacher and his wife. He was a preacher of the gospel. That's really good, isn't it? And that's where he grew up. Cooper then met a young man who had, not really young, but he's sort of young. He had been a captain on a slave ship, and he had come to Christ. His name was John Newton. And the two of them wrote what we call the hymns of Olney, which are many are in our, the hymn book that's in by, behind your, and some of the words we even sang this morning. Where did they get that? They, the two guys, I believe, the two of them together were reading Zechariah um, 13.1. And it was all about the coming Messiah. Zacharias, you know, they turned away. And, and so the coming Messiah is, is coming. And it's interesting that, it, that Zechariah wrote that he will be pierced. And it's, then it's 13, one says this, And on that day a fountain will be opened to the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and impurity. And then he wrote these words to this hymn. As a poet, they put it to music. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. Heard that before, hadn't you? It's a flood. It's a flood of blood from Jesus Christ. We have to, we have to know that. And when you know that, have you been cleansed? Have you been cleansed in his flooding blood? To most people who never understood the, the blood of the covenant with God, those are terrifying words. As a matter of fact, you know, our, our culture has taken those words and turned them into movies, horror movies, because they don't understand that the life is in the blood. And the life of God was in Jesus Christ's blood. You know... If you've been reading through Leviticus, I hope you have. You know what? There were 
thousands, I think probably some have even said millions of animals slaughtered during the temple, tabernacle and temple days. Um, you know, think about it. Bull sacrifice, you probably get about a gallon of blood. Goat, you get about a quart. Um, and then all of that in thousands or millions, however many there were of animals, that's a lot of blood, isn't it? Matter of fact, in the Day of Atonement, when it was at the peak of all the sacrificial things, they actually built a trough to go from the, from the temple down into the Kidron Valley. Now, there's a plumber's dream, Ed, wherever you are. You know, think about it. It's a holy trough just to, just to take all the blood down and to get it out of, out of their way. It's a lot of blood, isn't it? Why was there this sea of never-ending blood? For one main reason. To teach that sin demands the shedding of blood. Scripture tells us that. God said that. He wrote that into all of his law. That there's no way that we can ever have our sin washed away without the shedding of blood. It was Jesus Christ's blood that was shed. Now, let me tell you what. That's not to say that when all those blood and bull and everything were shed, that it was the work that saved them. Mm-mm. It was the, is the, the toning comes through God himself. We bring ourselves before him. Let me tell you what. In these days, an Old Testament worshiper knew first that sin requires death. Second, that sacrifice required a spirit of repentance. I don't mean confessing. It means repentance. Life is being sacrificed, and I have to turn away from the sin, which is death, separation from God. And then, just like we, we read last week, and we read even mentioned this morning in Sunday school, David knew that he was there was no way he could be forgiven, so he had to throw himself at the mercy of God. That's the third thing. You have to know that we are throwing ourselves before God's mercy, mercy, that he is a merciful God, and he'll forgive us because we have turned away from that, and we're turning to him. We found last week also the old covenant system was flawed, wasn't it? Remember that? Uh, by design, it could only deal with sins of ignorance. Well, let me tell you what, all of mine, well, never mind. But <laughs> sins of ignorance, Right? That's the only ones that could be forgiven. And they never completely cleared everything, did it? And then came Jesus with this new covenant, with his own blood, a blood sacrifice that completely satisfied God. That's what we see. Jesus is the only way to completely clear the slate. With that understanding, verse 15 becomes really important, doesn't it? For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. It's a new covenant with Jesus Christ. And, you know, while we're talking, I know there's a lot of people here who may have spent some time with lawyers. You know what a mediator really is? That's the one that's really set in between, right? The one that has something you're trying to come together and mediate the difference. Jesus Christ is our mediator with God. Not an amen in here. Amen. Yeah, are you glad to hear that news? Yeah. Amen. Uh, as the Father's mediator, it's Christ's job job to bridge the, the, the gap but over this great abyss, this bottomless pit, isn't it, of sin. And And here's the thing. He does it for all the sins that you've ever committed, 
And, you know, this is something I thought was really interesting. It, it's uh, retroactive to where we are now, right? And it's also proactive going into the future. So all of your sins have been forgiven forever and ever. That didn't give you any reason to go out and, and say, hey, I'm free. Let's go sin, have a sin party. That doesn't work either. Jesus Christ is so retroactive that it doesn't just go back to where you've sinned when you came into the world. It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. That's a pretty big improvement over the old system, isn't it? It takes care of all your And look, and our, our text is so specific about the power of the blood. I loved singing that while ago. The power in the blood. Not just because it was cool and I can name that tune and all that. You know what? <laughs> There is power in the blood. Amen. It's the power of God in the blood. Look at verse 15, the last part of it. He says, he has died as a ransom to set them free, free from the sins committed under the first covenant. The annual sacrifice on the day of atonement was retroactive active to last year. Only went back one year. You know, and it was only good until tomorrow, wasn't it? <laughs> until the next day, or maybe not even wait till tomorrow. But the, it, 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 it atoned for the sins of ignorance just one year back. Hmm. But Christ's death was, reached all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And Paul wrote to the Romans, he said this, God preached him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood... He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. Old covenant believers, through their obedient faith, they, they, they believed that God would forgive them. They were obedient to his, his rules and his laws. In their sacrifice, they were testifying that sin required death as they placed their souls in God's hands in his mercy. And Christ's blood extended its retroactive power to them by their faith. You know, we kind of touched on that a little bit this morning, too, you about how, you know, so were all these people not saved? They didn't have Jesus Christ. Their faith in God's mercy through the coming Messiah, whatever it was, but they had faith in God and that he would give them mercy. And by their obedience in his faith, they did. So those of us who are under the new covenant of his proactive power of Christ's death, when he gives us the grace to believe, his saving power was activated in our lives right that moment. Just like theirs were by faith. You know what? He takes care of our sins of the past, present, and future. Yeah, thank you for that. Amen, he does. There's something you need to know about this text too that in the, in the verses that the Queen's English does not work. Um, the word covenant, see, look, look there in your, in, your, uh, in your Bible. You'll see the word covenant, 15, 16, and 17. The word for, oh, you don't see it in 16 and 17. Yes, you do. The word for covenant and will are the same word. Now, that ought to really get your mind to turning. Covenant and will are the same, same Greek word. The word is used religiously in verse 15, and it's used legally in 16 and 17. That's what, it, what the meaning is. Now, now listen to this, now that you know that. In the case of a will, 
the covenant with Jesus Christ. Okay, in a case of a will, it is necessary to prove the death of the one who made it. Because a will is in force only when somebody has died. It never takes effect while the one who made it is living. Huh. In every culture, the will is activated by the death of the one who made the will. You know, I've traveled a few places and seen some different legal systems. And in every one that I've been to, it's, it's, it's organized. The person has to die before they get to their inheritance or anything that comes from the will, right? Let me tell you what. If someone left you tomorrow a billion dollars and a beautiful home on the bay and, and, and maybe even a, another one on the beach in Maui, and uh, they paid for your, your life health insurance forever and ever, you know, no, no money out, or uh, they gave you season tickets to the Ravens and to the O's for 100 years so that you could pass it on. Wouldn't that be great? You can't touch it until that person dies. That's the rule. That's a universal rule. Now, there's been a lot of movies and books written about that. I understand Agatha Christie and all that. But, but you know what? You can't touch it until that person dies. Christ's death activated your salvation. When you received him, his incredibly rich will, his incredibly rich covenant. Paul had said that in 2 Corinthians. He said, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ is that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. Christ died for you. He died for everybody who will accept him. They will come to him and receive his forgiveness. You see, Christ's will gives us timeless forgiveness. It gives you a clear conscience. We said that last week, and we see it again all the way through here, don't we? It gives you peace, um, wholeness, purpose, and ultimately it gives you eternal life in Jesus Christ. None of that is possible without his death. Jesus had to die so that you and I could be saved, so we could be washed in his blood. All of the, everything that he left us, which is riches we don't even understand, were activated by his death. And here's the thing. So Jesus has become the mediator and also the legal term testator, the one who died. He's one that's leaving us his inheritance. He's the mediator. And here's the great thing. What makes this so different is that he's still alive. Jesus lives forever and ever as a mediator between God and us and our sinful life. The old covenant law began with a spilling of the blood. Now, this is the part. When I was reading, let me tell you what, when I was reading through this and putting all this together, I went to Iris and I said, whoa, I, I can't even believe this. The blood was spilt. That was a foreshadowing prophecy of Christ's death and the beginning of the new covenant. The Old Testament began with the spilling of blood, and the New Testament came, started with the spilling of Christ's blood. Blood is used six times in verses 18 through 22. We're going to keep on moving through this. It says, this is why even the first covenant was put into effect 
without blood. When Moses had proclaimed every commandment of the law to all the people, he took the blood of calves together with water, scarlet wool, and the branches of hyssop and sprinkled the scroll and all the people. And he said, this is the, all the people, did you get that? And this is, he said, this is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you to keep. You know, you can read all of this in Exodus if you haven't already. Go back and read it again, 19, 20 through 24. You're, you're going to find all of this, you know, Moses, even when he got the law and he gave it to him, he went up on the mountain, you know, when they saw God out there on the, what was it, the, uh, uh, like a big platform of sapphire or some, some great thing. And then he went up on the, on the mountain and he stayed there for a long time. And he, when he brought back down the law to him, what did they do? Slaughtered animals. Blood had to flow. And everything the Lord has said, and, and people responded with everything the Lord has said, we will do. And the next few verses after that, they complete the picture. And then, then he sent along young Israelite men, and they offered burnt offerings and blood and sacrificed bulls and fellowship offerings to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood, and here's the thing. He put it in bowls, and the other half he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people, and they responded, We will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. And then Moses took the blood, sprinkled it on the people. And said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. What's that a foreshadowing of? Have you been sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ? The one who died for you? The one that God's life was in? Is sacrifice for you and me? Isn't that what this is saying? Shouldn't we be saying we'll do all that you tell us to do? From Exodus and Hebrews, we understand that everything of significance uh, was drenched with blood. Half on the altar, half on the people, and the scroll, the altar. They dip the blood. You know, that's a pretty, if you're squeamish, that's not a really thing you want to think about much, is it? Unless you can see Jesus Christ in the symbolism. And after that, Moses and, and all of his people that were working with him, his elders, and, 70, and then 70 elders that were designated, climbed up to Mount Sinai, and they saw from a distance God. And then he went up in, in, in the mountain and met God for 40 days. The inauguration of the Mosaic Covenant, or Moses' covenant with, with the people, was a pretty bloody affair. There was blood everywhere. And later, on the opening day of the tabernacle, or kickoff day, in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tabernacle and everything used in its ceremonies. Now, this is when I said, whoa. You remember last week we were talking about the tabernacle, how everything was gold and silver and so ornate and all these tall walls and white linen. I mean, it was just and it was incredible when you start thinking about it and all the beauty and all the, 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 the tapestry and all the weaving and, and the fine cloths and... Uh, they're covered with blood. Remember when we talked about Aaron and how his priestly garbs, and I'm just thinking of that, how he had to prepare, he had to take a bath for seven days, you know, and he had to get prepared for all that, and he's wearing all these incredible clothes. They're now covered with blood. Everything's covered with blood. Nine twenty-two. It says, in fact, the law required that nearly everything be cleansed 
with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. You know what? It's still the same today, isn't it? Sin must bring the forfeiting of life, and sin means death. The old covenant was, you know what? I'm going to use this term. The old, old covenant was baptized in blood, covered in blood. Two reasons, I believe. First, to demonstrate the seriousness of sin. You know, when you think about it, we're the, our biblical religion, our, our, our belief in the Bible is unlike any other religion in the whole world. Nobody takes sin this serious, do they? Not a one. Sin separates people from God. And you know what? The sin is rooted in all the hearts of all humanity. It's there. There's not a person alive who doesn't have sin in their heart. And it can't be defended by any self-help program. I'm sorry. It can't be cured by anything other than the blood of Jesus Christ. That's all there is. No human can defeat sin. Not a one. And here's another reason um, for blood. It's the costliness of forgiveness. Think how much it costs for the forgiveness that Jesus Christ provides, the mercy from God. You know what? It's either going to be Christ's life or ours, the judgment, isn't it? Are you going with him? Yeah, that, that requires us to fall down before him and be cleansed by his blood, his life that was given for you and me. So understanding that the blood death in, in inaugurating the old covenant, so let's, it helps us to understand Christ's sacrifice is establishing the new covenant. And that's what we were talking about here, isn't it? The new covenant in Jesus Christ. Verse 23 tells us a better sacrifice of Christ brings better purity. We're not 99.44% pure, folks. We're 100% pure with Jesus Christ. Listen to this. It was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly thing, that would be the tabernacle or the temple or whatever on this earth, the tabernacles of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices. But the heavenly things themselves, that's, that's heaven. The heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. You know what the heavenly things are? that have to be cleansed before they can be part of the temple itself? You know what you know what that is? It's you and me. We're part of God's heavenly kingdom. We're the structure itself. And for him to come into us, we have to be cleansed, don't we? Just like the temple was. The tabernacle had to be anointed and purified so God might show his presence there. The people of God must be cleansed and sanctified in order to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Ephesians 3.23. As Paul wrote, Peter wrote this. You also, like living stones, you've heard this before, hadn't you? Now look at this as, as being God's stones, God's building. Listen to this. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be holy priesthood, offering a spiritual sacrifice that is acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That's 1 Peter 2, 5. And to be a part of the spiritual house, each member is cleansed through the sprinkling of his blood. 
1 Peter 1, 2. With the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, 1 Peter 1, 9. We are part of God's building, his tabernacle. You and I are just blocks in it. We have to be clean. You know who the cornerstone is, don't you? Uh Uh-huh, Jesus Christ himself. It's the blood of Christ that makes us, that cleanses us, and that only makes us acceptable to God himself. Now he can come in, we can come into his presence and we can live with him in fellowship because we've been cleansed. You know, here's something. We read about angels back in the, the how Christ has appeared to angels back in the, in the first part. I couldn't help but think about this. No angel was ever purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. We are. And no angel can call God Father, Abba. We can. Because we've been cleansed to be in his presence. Jesus grants us a better representation before the Father too. Look at 24. He says, For God did not enter a man-made sanctuary that was a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself. Now to appear for us in God's presence. As soon as Christ took his seat by Jesus Christ, by the Father's right hand, he began his intercession for us, his mediating for us. And now he's, in the, he's before God, sitting at the right hand of God in a, a human body that now knows a whole lot more how to identify with us. God became a man through his son, Jesus Christ, so he could identify with us. And he's our constant and eternal attorney. And if you ever had to hire an attorney, you want to know how important this is. Mm-hmm. Because he always lives to intercede for us, Hebrews 7.25. And since, since it is God who justifies, who is to condemn? I'm right, reading eight, Romans 8.34 right now. It is God who justifies Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is an interceding for us. And John wrote this. Paul wrote that. John wrote this. My dear children, I write to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Thank you, John. First John 2, 1. You know what? Christ is my defender before God. Is he yours? Yeah? And he, yeah, is he? He's defending you before God now, and he always will. You know what? I don't know if you ever come to, come to a point where you're just waiting, and you're waiting, and, and you think, oh, no, I'm not going to make it through this. And then all of a sudden... Your attorney or whoever's been defending you appears, and all of a sudden you feel oh, relief. You ever had that happen? Maybe when you're a kid in school, in elementary school, or maybe when you're an adult. You know, you come to that point and you realize total relief, total comfort, release. Jesus Christ is your release. Amen. He's already died for you and he's defended you totally and completely. And Jesus' blood's is sufficient to save all of us once and for all. doesn't have to be done again. Once and for all. You know, we, we, we did some missionary work in the Philippines, 
and, and I was appalled. There was one guy that comes out every year and um, has himself nailed to the cross, literally nailed to the cross, and all the people prove and bound, say, wow, what a wonderful guy. You know what? Jesus Christ died, Jesus Christ died once and for all. There is no more crucifixion necessary. There's no more sacrifice. Jesus did it. It is finished. It's over. Amen. I'm resting in that. How about you? Yeah. yeah. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again. I'm reading now in, in verse 25. The way the high priest enters the most holy place every year and with blood that is not his own. Then Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But now he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as man is, is destined to die once and after that to face judgment. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. Christ Death on the cross was sufficient for all, every person. Any person who will receive him and receive God's mercy, forgiveness, and accept it and live by it in faith in Jesus Christ. That's what it takes. You don't work your way to it. You receive his forgiveness. And when you receive it, you're changed. You're changed into a whole new person, aren't you? One that Christ made, a new creature. You begin growing still in this world, but you begin growing right there. His blood is totally sufficient for your salvation. I want to tell you a story. We talked about this a little bit this morning in Sunday school. There's a story I can't tell you who, who if it's true or not, <laughs> but, but, but it's, it's a story that, that really meant a lot to me when I heard it by a great preacher. I believe it was D. James Kennedy that used this. Uh, he said they were in a rural village. There was a doctor who was noted both for his, his professional, um, professional skill as a doctor, and he ministered to all the people in this village, and, but they didn't have a lot of money. And some of the people came in, and they didn't have enough money to pay him for his services. So he wrote across their bill and put it back in the file. He said, forgiven, they don't have enough money to pay for this, so the debt's forgiven. And when he died, his wife came in and took all of that and, uh, and said, wait a minute, there's a whole lot of people here who owe money. They need to pay up. So she went to court and had them to try it. And when the judge saw it, he said, is this your husband's signature here that says forgiven? And she said, yeah, it is. And he says, lady, there's not a court in the land that will try this case. He has forgiven them their debts. Case dismissed. Jesus Christ has written forgiven across your file. Do you know that? You are forgiven by him. It doesn't take anything else. <laughs> Let me go back to Romans 8, 34, 35, 33. Let's start there. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. You have been forgiven. 
if you received his forgiveness. He offers it. One last thing I want you to see here. Having said all of this, Christ's blood gives us a better hope than anything we might have had in this world. Look look at, at the last part of verse 28. He will appear a second time. Oh, come on. He will appear a second time. Hallelujah. Amen. Not not to bear sin. He's already done that. But to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Good news from God himself. He's coming back. Yeah, he is. Remember the, the day of atonement? The congregation watched the high priest. Remember we said that last week? He would go in and, and they just waited. And they, they were all, I mean, they were breathless, holding their breath to see if the guy's going to come back out. He was only in there a few minutes. But he was taking all their sins into the court with a bucket of blood. But he was taking it all into the court, and they were all after just waiting. And they held their breath. And then when he came back out, the sigh of relief, just like we were talking about. Our sins have been forgiven for another year. Hmm. Oh, no, for the last year. But God had accepted their offering on behalf of the priest. The priest had taken it in on behalf of the the people, and it had been accepted by God. Christ has already died for your sins. You can breathe a sigh of relief if you've let him into your heart. Our Lord has entered the heavenly sanctuary. For Christ did not enter a man-made sanctuary that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself not to appear for us in God's presence. And he will appear a second time not to bear sin but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He's coming again. He's going to come back and take us home. He's already gone to make a place for us. But he's coming back, folks. Oh, I pray that you know him and you've received him into your heart. And every day you take up your cross with him and die to yourselves. (laughs) And he'll give you a new life every day, believe it or not. He's already given you a life forever. But he's forgiven those sins. You know what? The blood of Christ is a stumbling block to a lot of people who don't understand the blood, being washed in the blood. And this, this, that. People that don't understand sin and who are lost. They need to get bathed, baptized in that blood of Jesus Christ, don't they? They need to know that. Because it means Jesus gave his life for you and me. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunged beneath that flood lose their guilty stains. The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day. And there may I, though vile as he, wash all my sins away. That's us. Amen. Amen. Lord, praise you. You are awesome because, Lord, you've taken away all the sins that are here. You've washed them away, Lord, with your blood flowing like a fountain for all who will believe. Praise you, Lord Jesus. Lord, our hearts today 
we give to you totally and completely. Lord, the life and the blood that was shed you've given to us. We praise you, we thank you, Lord, and we want to obey you and follow you in every way as you lead us. So, Lord, here we are, your followers. Lead us. In your precious name, the blood that was shed for us, we praise you and thank you. Amen. Amen. Some pretty powerful stuff, isn't it? We're right here in Hebrews. Jesus Christ died for you and me. We're going to sing a praise him because he reigns forever, doesn't he? Amen. <laughs> We're going to reign with him. So let's stand together. Let's sing this to him. It's a, this is a time of response. With your hearts, with your voice, praise him because he does reign forever. And if the Lord's working in your heart and wants you to, to prophet, say something to this group, you have a body of believers here this morning. We're all walking together in him, yes? So if the Lord's moving in you to, to come and say something, to, to confess something, to share something with us, respond to him this morning as we sing this. He's your Savior. He's your Lord. And we're all walking together in him. Amen. Amen.